Hey y'all, what's good? Zeru Futsum here. Uh, some of y'all know me as Zeru. What's good? I just wanted to say welcome back to the show. I wanted to do some housekeeping things and talk about some stuff I forgot to ask in the episode. Our guest is Pastor Jennifer Late, and she's great. The conversation is wonderful. And I'll put these things in the description, what I'm about to get to. But she um, is a pastor. She has a nonprofit also called the Pilgrimage Online Spiritual Formation uh, that is um, connected now to build a better us. So if you could um, check out her link tree, check out her ministries. And if you find that what we talk about in here and what you find on the links fit into some of your needs and some of your desires and um, interactions you desire to have with God, or at least be given a semblance of um, direction and knowing how to, I think there will be a lot of encouragement found with doing so. I will link uh, to the rest of the things necessary to know. Uh, Put her tip jar in there, and uh, if you find it in your heart, uh, to generously support her, please do so. Enjoy the combo. Hey y'all, what's good? Here we are with another day and another episode of the Pilgrimage Podcast. And we have a special guest. Um, This guest is so special. In fact, I stole the name of her ministry (laughs) or this podcast uh, before uh, I ever conceived of mine. Uh, We have Pastor Jennifer late on this podcast. We met through Twitter. Uh, I got to go to this um winter solace event that she has because her ministry is full of uh contemplative and spiritual direction practices and guidings and it's it's been a blast just getting to interact with you on there and the other platforms we have since then i'm part of a cohort of hers now called the walk an eight week uh journey into uh the center of our souls if you will so welcome on pastor jennifer thank you it's great to be here I wanted to, you to be able to tell uh, the fellow pilgrim, pilgrims that we have that listen in a little bit about who you are. So who are you? Yeah, you're stealing my winter solace. Winter, yeah, winter Your solace. Your structure, question. all of it. I'm stealing all of it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Once the patent comes out, then I'll pay for it. <laughs> I was going to but... say there isn't one. So, um, So, yeah, I think at that online retreat, I said, I answered that question by saying I'm a shepherd. Um, Obviously, that's a metaphor. (laughs) um, I don't actually have any sheep, although they're cool. That would be okay. But um, I am a part-time pastor of an over 200-year-old church in central Massachusetts. And I also direct, founded and direct this uh, spiritual formation ministry online, the pilgrimage. Um, 
And those two things, I feel like we're not supposed to identify ourselves by what we do, but I'm at a stage of my life, I'm like more than twice your age, yeah. where <laughs> where I think I finally found the things that to do that most fully express who God made me to be. Mm. And so I feel happy to identify myself with the stuff that I that I do, that I work on. Um, and so there's a lot of personal care um, of people. Um, so that, that falls into shepherding. But I also identify as a word scatterer. Mm. There's, if, if you want to hear the story, there's a whole story about that. Um, Come on. Yeah, that please. phrase. But love- so... So one of the questions that I ask, which if you take my other class, you'll hear this question, um, is if Jesus gave you a nickname, what would it be? Because mm. we know that in the Gospels, he nicknamed some of his friends. So um, I used to ask that question all the time. And then somebody asked me that question. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um this wasn't one of the ones I actually thought about the answer to the question. I <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I was just so proud of the question. It didn't occur yes. to me, like answer it for myself. So, <laughs> I so I had somebody ask me that. And then I was teaching the class in which I asked that question and somebody else asked me that. And I started to feel kind of, um, almost unduly challenged and maybe a little upset that I couldn't come up with an answer. Um, And I was also being challenged in some ways about, for example, how wordy I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I was in my personal Bible reading time. I happened to be reading the kingdom new Testament, which is a new Testament translation by N.T. Wright. And It was in the, I think it's in the book of Acts. Oh yeah, it's Paul in Athens and the Athenians say in his translation, what is this word scatterer going on about? And I was like, oh, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) That is my nickname because I believe that Jesus nicknames people in this way that is both um backhanded and affirming Mm. of it it kind of points out the aspect of a person's personality that is their downfall and their strength um that is the piece that god put into the person um to most fully reflect god's self um but Mm. also is the part that can sidetrack us the most and so my affinity for words and with the word of God, which is Jesus, um, mm. gets kind of pointed out in that nickname. And so that's <laughs> my, that is my, and now I'm public with it. Yes. yes. Um, that shepherding call piece of who you are, like, can you, what, what do you trace that to? Um, well, if this kind of thing is genetic at all, that might be part of it. My, um, <laughs> My maternal grandfather and my father were both pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it definitely runs in the family in some way or other. Um, yeah. I have always had this kind of nurturing bent, but um, 
I don't know that it's specifically maternal, although I've always, for most of my life, I worked with kids. It's only been the last maybe 10 years that I've, if that, that I've worked mm -hmm. primarily with adults. Um, but I don't have kids of my own. So, um, so I've, I've kind of taken that nurturing piece of myself um, yeah. in different avenues. I do think that female shepherds lead differently than male ones, generally speaking. Um, um, I mean, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that it's always kind of been a part of who I am. I've always cared a lot about um, people's well-being and their stories. And um, probably in my less redeemed moments, there's a little bit of like, because I'm a storyteller, I want to have some control over other people's stories. <laughs> mm. um, but I think there, I think that is less of an impulse now. Um, and more, I, I think now the impulse is more, let me put, let me see if I can get people in a room with the teller of stories, which is yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and, and see what happens yes. when they, um, when they collaborate, when they interact around the story that, um, they are living. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, right? You shared at the beginning of this podcast that you feel like there's been some congruence between what you do and who you are. So that even gives probably more confidence and uh, trust in the process of bringing uh -huh. people into your life to that storytelling God. What were the formative <laughs> parts, moments of what made you who you are to where you were able to feel that congruence between doing and being to where you're oh, able Lord. to say, this is who I <laughs> I mean, it's, so you're in a class right now that I teach called The Walk, and mm -hmm. it's about stages of faith. And I really think that that is kind of going through um, different ways that a person experiences their own faith and experiences Christ in those different stages um, really has an influence on kind of becoming, I don't think anybody's born just automatically knowing who they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say that a lot of pieces that have formed me. I mean, definitely being a pastor's kid and a pastor's grandkid and my dad, my parents actually were missionaries for a little while when I was a little, little kid. Um, so that definitely played a role. Those types of things made um, ministry just seem like a normal thing. Mm. Um, my grandparents, all four of my grandparents and my parents have had my grandparents are no longer with us but mm. had a live um visible relationship with god through jesus mm. and so i've never had i've had moments where i didn't want to believe or i've had moments where i've just as kind of a mental exercise thought, what if this wasn't true? Um, yes. But it was so obviously true in their lives. It wasn't just something they talked about. Um, they were not perfect by any means, but I remember one time when I was like three years old, my mom apologized to me for something. 
Mm. And and I just thought at that that point I thought you know parents are like God, they know everything and they don't do anything wrong. And so right. So her admitting to um, having failed me in some way was mind blowing. So mind blowing that I still remember it, mm. even though I was a toddler. Um, right. And so they were just really authentic about their faith before there was such a thing as like before that was a buzzword um that made a big difference and so therefore i had a real relationship of some kind with jesus as a really little kid Mm. um so that that's probably the the main thing and then um when i around the same time that i quote unquote asked jesus into my heart when I was four, I also yeah. told my mom that I became captivated by these picture story books from Sweden that at the time there wasn't an English translation for. So my grandmother had translated them. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden I was like, I, I want to tell stories and draw pictures like the author Elsa Besco. Um, and my mom, who was also very, um, affirming of and nurturing of the creative impulse. Yeah. It's like, oh great, you can be a writer. And so um so words have always been books have always been important. Um and story. Also my pastor, my father and my grandfather pastored in Baptist churches, but um my grandmother my maternal grandmother was grew up Lutheran and my paternal grandmother was reformed, but she really loved reading the medieval Catholic mystics. Mm. So we never had this like monolithic or strictly denominational version of the Christian faith. Um, There were always, we were always pulling on resources from different traditions Um, When I went to London to work with refugees for five years, um, I was placed to work with some charismatic churches, which was completely out of the box for me. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But also a great experience. When I was in college, I sang in a gospel choir. And so we went to a lot of black churches in America and that was great. And so I've... um, Crossing cultures, crossing racial divides has also always been really important um, and and denominational divides. So I think all of those things have they, they haven't been great for somebody that's not super organized or goal driven to mm. find a path very easily <laughs> um, because there are so many and they all look really great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But and so it took me a really long time. Like I was working as a Starbucks barista in my thirties because mm. I had no other job skills. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I didn't have any professional experience. And so it took a while for me to get back into formal ministry. Um, but now I can look back and see all these twists and turns and things that seemed unrelated and how they actually work together perfectly for what i'm doing now what was some of the pushback because i heard you say you grew up in a baptist denomination 
And so particularly, I'm sure messages you've internalized about what you could do ministerially and whatnot have shaped your journey as well. I'm making an assumption, but I'm assuming that. Are you talking about the fact that I'm a woman? Yes, 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 (laughs) yes. I was. Let's just spell it out. Yeah, let's just spell it out. Yeah, being being a woman in ministry, particular. I know Baptists are not monolithic either. Right. Uh, There's so many branches and. Uh, because of the value of local church autonomy, there there right. are right. different expressions of that. But yeah, how did all of those things impact you? Yeah, so that's path? a super great question. I remember as a kid in Honduras, um, where my parents were missionaries, playing church with one of my friends who was a boy. <laughs> and I don't, his parents were also missionaries. He was Latino, but he was from a different country. Um mm-hmm. He, I don't remember if it was he who said, like, I was trying to do the sermon and he was like, I have to do it because you're a girl. I don't remember if it was he or if it was one of our parents that observed us and was like, that's not for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then I was like, well, what can I be? You can sing in the choir. (laughs) Mm. There was only two of us playing, so... It wasn't much of a choir. And I don't, even though I sang in a gospel choir, I don't have a great solo voice. So (laughs) let's just leave that alone. Every once in a while, I remember I would ask a question because I was, I would try to read the Bible. It was hard, but, but I would try Mm -hmm. to, and I'd be like the, the passages, which at the time were always translated with masculine pronouns or masculine, you know, man, instead of people. Um, And so I would be like, well, is this about, who is this about? <laughs> and it was always, well, well, it's about you two. It's about everybody. Um, we just use those words to mean everybody. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty okay with that. Um, once I got a little older, once I got to college, I started thinking about it a little bit more. There was a yeah. group on campus called, which I think is, maybe still the one that exists, uh, biblical Christian egalitarians. Okay. And, um, they freaked me out. I was like, I don't know about that biblical part. I, I don't think that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of went on, you know, there, there were definitely some like questions asked and, and questions presented. And I just kind of kept going, well, you know, this is what I, now I've read the Bible for myself. This is what I think it says. I don't think women can really preach or lead in church. But then I went to a, then I worked as a nanny for a couple of years to pay off my college loans before I went to the UK yeah. to work with refugees. And so I um, joined a young adults group that was a multi-church young adults group. And we did a Bible study on probably the Timothy books or something. <laughs> yep. So that issue came up again and there was all this debate, but I ended up falling on the side of absolutely women cannot lead at all yeah hardcore so when i got to london those churches were much more egalitarian and they would invite me to do things and i would turn down opportunities to Mm. lead a bible study or teach at church or even speak preach a sermon or whatever for one thing public speaking was terrifying to me and i would cry um (laughs) but but also i really didn't believe that i could lead men Mm. um 
it was not oh yeah and then when i felt like god was telling me to come back to the u.s and that's a whole other piece of my story um i went to denver seminary for a while to get a degree in counseling and when i realized that degree was a really bad fit but i liked the bible classes i i quit because i was like i already have a literature degree which i'm not using (laughs) for my Mm. undergrad and what in the world do I need another degree for that I'm not going to use because I don't believe I can be a pastor. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I, but I'm working at Starbucks and one night I'm home and I'm sitting on my bed reading a book and it has nothing to do with women in ministry. It's probably a novel Mm. all of a sudden. And I don't hear audible voices usually Um, definitely not from God, but God has a way of communicating with me that, is words, articulate words that don't sound like my own thought. Mm. And these words blasted into my brain and said, stop hiding behind three passages in the Bible you don't understand and start paying attention to the part that you can. And then immediately my mind went to the women at the tomb. And I thought... If the who, of course, Jesus commissioned to be the first people to tell about his resurrection to yeah. the male disciples. Yep. And I thought, if that's not preaching and teaching the basic foundation of the Christian good news, then <laughs> yeah. I don't know what is. Right. right. So, <laughs> so at that point, I was still in my 30s and I was like, okay, I guess women can do whatever God calls them and gives them to do. Um, That didn't feel like a call of God to me at the time. It just felt like stop getting hung up on this (laughs) because you're preventing other people and yourself from doing things that, um, that maybe I being God, maybe I want you to do. Um, Mm. So yeah, then it took, it's taken a lot longer to kind of work through all of, because I do take the Bible very seriously. I do believe yeah. that it's uniquely inspired. Um, I feel like the majority of the scriptural text actually supports women, even when they are being treated very badly. Mm. Um, I don't think the Bible paints most of its female characters, maybe a couple like Jezebel and Athaliah. Yeah. Um, but most of the women characters are not actually painted by as um, villains or vixens or whatever um, right. the way that, frankly, usually white male interpretation has painted them. Right. Um, if you read the text, even in English, I don't know the ancient languages, but even if you read it in English with a literary eye, um it's very hard to argue that the women are the ones who are being um by the writer or by god who are being um abused by the people who they who they are living around (laughs) often yes but not by the not by the text um i.e hagar what's that i.e hagar Yes, Hagar yeah. or Tamar or um, Dinah or yeah, no, no, no. right, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bathsheba, right. So, 
Um, so from that perspective, where I believe that generally speaking, the biblical text affirms women, even if the circumstances don't, right. um, the burden on the burden of exception is on those texts from Paul's letters where he says women can't preach. Like yeah. those are the exceptions, not the rule. Right. And so something else is going on there. Um, because it doesn't line up with the rest of scripture. If like, I think there's a reason those passages are in the Bible. Right. They mean something. I just don't think they mean what they've typically been interpreted to mean. So how did the pilgrimage ministry start? While I was in Denver Seminary, suffering reverse culture shock and beginning the phases of a dark night of the soul where I just felt like God had kind of said, okay, thanks for your service. <laughs> I don't have any more use for you now. Um, I sat in my dorm room at Denver Seminary and I thought, what do I actually like to do? Yeah. And I thought about what I used to do in the UK. And I was like, I just like hanging out with people, drinking coffee or tea yeah, and talking about Jesus. At that point, I wasn't mad enough about Jesus to <laughs> want to stop talking about him. So, right. so I thought I'm going to go back to Massachusetts, central Massachusetts, and I'm going to start a coffee shop. And I am going to have, and it's going to have like used books that people can read or borrow or take or whatever. And it will have little conference rooms. So therapists can work out of it and we can have English as a second language classes for people yeah. because I did a lot of that in the UK too. And it's going to be great. And what can I call it? I'll call it the pilgrimage because there's like, Pilgrims are by definition on the move, but right. um, so it's different than like a hermitage, which is a fixed location for a person, but it, the road is kind of the home of the pilgrim. Mm -hmm. And this can be a meeting place of all of these people that are on their life journeys. Came back to Massachusetts, got a job at Starbucks because I didn't know anything about coffee or running a business. Right or anything and so so i'm working at starbucks and the and then i by the time i got out of starbucks five years later i had i didn't want to do coffee anymore so, so it's like that's that on that. was done so i thought after the starbucks phase i ended up working for a church as a christian education director um for seven years and um That was, it had its good moments and it was also difficult and the end was particularly difficult. Um, but it also, well, it gave me an experience, my own personal experience of church hurt, mm. <laughs> which is not great. And it also um, kind of indirectly introduced me to a number of other people who were shifting out of the church. So the, the deconstruction community um, 
kind of early on, I didn't feel like I was deconstructing. I feel like I had kind of done a lot of the work that happens there much earlier, but, um, but I could, but I felt a resonance with people in that community and also a desire for people to, to be liberated from the stuff that they were deconstructing from, but not from Jesus, because that had been my experience too. Um, And kind of in the, in the wake of my church hurt experience, which interestingly, and I just say this because I don't think it's fully monolithic. My church hurt came in a progressive church, um, not the traditional spaces that you would expect. So, so it's, it's like everywhere. Um, And anyway, so I started training as a spiritual director and I started training as an interfaith chaplain at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And during that time, I was like, I, I had actually, as a member of that former church, I had started doing some online Bible studies. And so once I left there, I thought I can really do something with this. Um, So that's where, and then I was like, what do I call this thing? And my husband was like, well, it's kind of like we were batting around ideas. He's like, it's the pilgrimage to, and I was like, oh, duh. (laughs) I was like, Um, I already had that name. Yes. So so that was in 2015. Um, Originally the pilgrimage was, I, because I, one of the other things I realized is not only was I sick of coffee business, but I actually can't run a business. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not my skill set. So, Me neither. Me neither. so I found it. So I founded the pilgrimage and then immediately put it under the auspices of a mission organization. Um, so it actually started as a, a kind of an offshoot of a campus ministry and it's moved a couple times since then. And now is with um, build a better us, which yeah. Ruth also um the writing coach does we love ruth she uh oh man she's awesome yes yes shout out to ruth buchanan because your affinity is towards uh the deconstruction community that are not quite ready to um like love for jesus is not it's not like love for jesus it's not on the table for them. They still right. have a connection and desire mm-hmm. to walk with Jesus, but have had a lot of church hurt or just religious disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because of spiritual formation and your passion to shepherd people and even walk them through material, do, do people sometimes also just want to get your ideas on stuff? What do you believe about this as well? Like, do you navigate that road of trying to walk? When do I give answers? And when do I just help you understand what you're going through without imposing my journey onto yours, if that makes sense? So, yes, it totally makes sense. It's a great question. Um, the short answer is people very rarely ask me directly what okay. I think about things, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think there are, well, there are three types of spiritual care that I have been trained in and participate in, and they are all, they all overlap, but they're different. And so chaplaincy is one, spiritual direction is one, and um, pastoring is another. And pastoring is the one that is the most proclamatory. Um, right. So if you're preaching, like you're actually trying to communicate an idea and it's not particularly worth anybody's time if you're just going to stand up there and say 
a bunch of words that don't point to anything. Um, And so I do a lot of teaching and I mean, you're, I wouldn't say my preaching is exactly expository. Um, I do have, I listened to your episode with Trey and talking about the tools, the toolkit. And I have a few tools in my toolkit, probably not as many as he has, but, um, but I definitely tend to be more interactive than not. So Mm -hmm. I will actually ask people questions from the pulpit and let them feedback and, um, and kind of, I always have a prepared sermon, but we kind of riff off that conversation at least a little bit. Yeah. And um, I think I have a an orthodox but non-traditional way of reading the Bible. Right. Um, and so I that gives me an ability to see things that maybe I ne- didn't notice before when I'm preparing a sermon. Um, but I am much more... There are still topics that I won't directly address. If the text isn't directly addressing them, I might hint at some things, but I won't say this is what what I believe about such and such unless it unless the text is speaking to that specific thing. Um, But spiritual direction. And formation is much more about what happens when the person I'm working with and God get in a room. <laughs> mm. Um, and what does God do with and for that person? And I facilitate that to the extent that I can. Um, yeah. and it's really an honor to be able to like be in the room for right. a process like that. But, you know, I'll, I'll listen and I'll ask questions and sometimes I will reframe what I think I heard Um, sometimes if it seems like there's some real unclarity that people are getting stuck behind, I might say, well, from my perspective and experience, this is what I think about this, but that's pretty rare. Um, and then chaplaincy is this whole other thing where, um, that's probably the least directive of all, um, where you just kind of be there. my undergrad I had a philosophy teacher whom I love uh dearly who has the same bent as you he's very Mm -hmm. pastoral he was a missionary for over a decade actually and he just has the proclivity to watch people in God commune like that's that's his passion but a lot of the times I was like but can you just tell me what I should do in order to get where I think you are, right? Because it's not that my perception of, right? So I didn't know if anyone did that. So I'm actually glad you don't have to deal with that. Yeah, mostly every once in a while, somebody will say that. Um, sometimes people ask for homework, but if I if I give homework, it kind of naturally came out of the session. And it's usually like the kind of homework that I give for our class. Um, so that makes people say, why didn't you just ask me what my favorite beer was? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you have to do a lot of self-exploration. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like when Jesus, when people ask Jesus direct questions and then he just asks them another one back or tells them some weird story that they don't understand. Yes. And I yes. think I feel free to do that now. I used to have so much more anxiety as a younger adult about making sure that people understood the truth. And yes. I do believe, I do believe in truth. Um, yeah. And I also believe that the truth is really a person and it's Jesus. And right. in my own experience, um, I can trust him to bring me to where I need to be and let me know what I need to know and believe what I need to believe because of my experience with the women issue. Um, yeah. Now, when there's another issue that comes up that I'm not sure how to think about or um, how to interpret the Bible around, I will, I do this fairly frequently and I continue to check in on the same issue if I yeah. <laughs> periodically where I'll be like, okay, this is what I think right now. This is how I understand what it says here. If I'm yeah. wrong about this, I know you can show me. So please yeah. do it. Um, pl please show me how this says something different than what I'm seeing. Dr. Sam Wan, who's sharing something similar in his own pastoral history. There have been many folks who have been looking for direction and wanting answers. And so it caused a lot of anxiety. Uh -huh. He would go to bed thinking he would have to wake up in the morning to double down on the answers uh -huh. he proclaimed before. And what he's told me is what has helped him out of that as you, you, your personal story is, oh, I've seen God intervene with a mental hangup I had. So mm -hmm. when it comes to relational conflict, he realized he had to have a robust pneumatology, an understanding of the spirit of God yes. forming Christ in mm -hmm. you to be the person who can go to sleep having conversations about ethics with parishioners or friends or mm -hmm. friends who apostatized, who left the faith right, and not be so overcome with their salvation or their the totality of their liberation being wrapped mm -hmm. up in your uh yes cognitive answers and yes, that's yes, yes that's that's been a powerful um thing to ponder and just try to embrace for myself because it, it really is this like consuming thought that you have to be able to be really equipped in the mind to be of any um substantial influence in the lives of others who are struggling and suffering around us and it's like oh no 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 i really can just sit <laughs> and uh -huh. so that chaplain and even uh director bent is something i'm praying through just considering in the future because of those very uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah it's it's actually really powerful i would say the the chaplain bent taught me how that training i'm st <laughs> i still need to learn how to do this because I might be a little bit over self-reflective. And mm. so my story is pretty large in my own mind, but, <laughs> but um, 
I think it's a human tendency, a human default when somebody's sharing a struggle to say to we want to identify with them and show them that they're not alone. And so we say, oh, yeah, I experienced something like that. Yeah. And that's so not helpful. And most of the time and chaplaincy really teaches you how to become more aware of and secure in your own story. Yeah without imposing it on somebody else. So when someone's talking mm. to you and you feel a connection because you actually live through something similar, you can note that to yourself and you do not have to say it. You are liberated from having yes. to throw your own story into the mix. Um, right. And center yourself. And that is so powerful because if you are, if you're totally unaware of how you connect with that other person's story. Um, you can't be as present to them, but if That's you good. are aware, you can be present. They never have to know what of your story is the same as theirs. They will still sense that you're present and they will open up more Yes, uh, and it will be more healing and more therapeutic to them. And I think that the same goes for um, these spiritual or social or political or religious ideas or theological yes. ideas. Um, if you, it, it's not bad to have some sense of, okay, what do I actually believe about this particular thing? Right. Um, I need to know that. Otherwise I'm just going to be all over the place when I meet with this person. Right. But I don't some, and sometimes it might be appropriate for me to share but it isn't always going to be and defaults to it's not. <laughs> yes, that mm, that's good. I, cause I hear that a lot of times the fear I've heard people bring up when they feel like they don't know what I actually think is they share this worry, but what if you're not um, theologically orthodox? Like what if that's actually what's going on in your mind? How can I help you? To which I respond, first of all, what you mean by that to scare them a little more mm -hmm. <laughs> not that i don't have this historical understanding of how things were canonized the creeds and yeah right 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 the yeah. composition of what we deem to be theological orthodoxy mm -hmm. as today mm -hmm. but it, it it is one of those things being non-directive even though it's not everything it is crucial to helping people like come into contact with their story and familiarity uh with their belovedness <laughs> yes yes uh and so yeah i do i i do just want to affirm you here and with my experience of that even just starting with winter solace i even just say the breath prayer a lot like mm -hmm. now in my life where it's like um lord um help me to love myself breathe out just as you already do what clear affirmation do you feel like god has given you about your calling I would say every time I teach a class, um, so every time I teach a class going into it, I have a very difficult time getting people to sign up for these classes, even though everyone that takes them is always like, oh, that class was great. And they often talk about it on social media. And for some reason, it's very difficult to explain exactly what I do and to do so in a way that doesn't sound like hey, I'm trying to capitalize on your um, 
spiritual pain, <laughs> which is not what I'm trying to do at all. You know, I really, I have seen God work in these classes. I myself have taken classes like this. I've modeled these classes after my own experiences that have been freeing for me. Yeah. That I, that I also paid money for. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I think they're highly valuable, but it is a rare person that's right in the moment that they feel like, yes, I need this. Um, And finding those people <laughs> is yeah. tricky. So it is, it's almost like um, this hand pick process, but I feel like it is a hand pick process and God is God does the picking um, and lets me kind of be part of it. Yeah. Because every group seems like all the people in each group seem to need to be together for that particular experience. And then by the end, there's always at least one person that three months later will say, Oh my word, this thing just happened. And it reminded me of when we talked about this in our class and, and um, seeing people's lives change by now I've been doing the pilgrimage for long enough that I can see some long-term results um, of real transformation in other people's lives. And so that that's super encouraging. Um, And then this year, and church, like I said, it's been kind of a tricky year at church, and we've had some we've had some normal human squabbles, and we've also had what I could can only call actual spiritual attack and oppression. Um, and like it's like normal normal human squabbles on steroids. And um, there was a situation earlier this year where I thought I don't know how. I don't even know how God's going to fix this Mm. in a way that is restorative and redemptive for everybody involved. Um, I just, I can't see it. I can see where some breakthroughs need to happen in individual people, but I can't make that happen. And I don't like, based on how I see this person, I don't see it happening. And Mm. the turnarounds I've observed have looked like, ones I've experienced in my own self over the course of my life where like I was going this one way and then the Holy spirit came in and was like, no, you're not (laughs) go that way. Oh yes. yes. And so, and the, the vulnerability, the freeing vulnerability to God um, that I'm watching happen, even though it's kind of a painful process and a slow process um, is really beautiful and rewarding and exciting um I love that. No, uh I'm I'm glad you're experiencing um those affirmations because um I know I know even though I haven't even experienced the post cohort things there right. have been significant <laughs> topics and like contents of the soul that have been crucial even just to my everyday processing in the mm. place in life I find myself in now uh that uh I do uh credit you and God's grace in my life for doing so so I'm glad that has been a place and then yeah the last thing um 
I want to just talk about with you is this pilgrimage motif with God in your community, but like belovedness particularly. Like what has most helped you believe you are beloved in every stage of faith or every step of this journey that we have kind of just unpacked in this episode? I love that question. I don't know that I have fully believed that for a large part of my life. I do remember um, at a point in my early 20s feeling like, and I've heard other people describe this too, so I know it's not unique to me, but this sense of like, well, I know God loves me, but God has to because he's God and God is love. And so, but I don't think he likes it. (laughs) Right. But I don't think he likes me very much. Um, And since then that theme I've kind of revisited in different phases and stages and I've become more sure of God's love, but I think something happened. I think I was out of Starbucks by then. Um, Mm. I maybe even was, no, I was still working for that church, but um, where I, I suddenly realized that I liked, that I loved the me that I used to be. Oh, I know what it was. I had just gotten married. I got married right before I turned 40. So uh-huh. it was a big adjustment <laughs> just because you go your whole life. <laughs> For a really long time, even if you want to be married, you're like not yeah. <laughs> or for a really long time. And then suddenly I was and I was like, wait, whose life did I just step into? This doesn't feel like mine. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was really glad to be married at the same time because it felt like to, I, I really felt like I was a whole different person or living in a whole different person's story. Um yeah it gave me a chance to look back on the previous me. And I thought, and I was just such an insecure, um, anxious, kind of needy, very codependent person. And I looked back at that person and I was like, Oh, I really love her. Like she was a mess, (laughs) but, but I really love her. And I think, Realizing that I loved that me helped me understand that God did. Mm. And that was where, that was the real turning point, I think, where I came to realize, yes, I am beloved. And I'm not beloved just because I got married and now there's a human being that loves me. But I I am al- already beloved. I always was beloved. And so that's actually part of what I spent a lot of last year um working on trying to teach in my various arenas um, is that, you know, we can say that we're sinners saved by grace and there is truth to the fact that, you know, there's, we're born into a world that's broken um, Mm -hmm. and sin is a real thing and we all participate in it. And we were first beloved Mm. always so we need the we need salvation by grace but it's not because our core is our sinfulness our we are our core is that we're beloved of god 
Right. I'm beloved of God. You're beloved of God. And that's why God wanted to save us. Yeah. God loves us. Ooh. Amen. I love that. I used to drink from the theological belief system that's the main emphasis was that like you're a contemptible monstrosity uh-huh. and like grace is the only thing that makes you worth loving and it's uh-huh. like no actually there was a prior love to grace meeting uh-huh. me uh-huh. and it doesn't even make sense otherwise <laughs> right. right why would god extend grace to creatures that he couldn't stand like right huh <laughs> yeah 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 but it's it's like but yeah it's almost like what like and i like you said there is this participation in sin that we have but uh, i used to just wholesale drink like uh you can't savor the sweetness of the gospel until you recognize the horror of your sin mm. and i was like is god just like feeling bad for us are we like just these creatures that he wants to remake just for the purpose of saying he did something good or was there actually like this affinity there was mm. there actually this sense of um like this, what drew god's heart to god's people and so I love that you said that because I was just talking to a friend the other day. I I don't know what the sources she was reading was, but it it felt true to my experience. It takes five seconds for us to internalize the messages that were harmful, just terrible creatures. And it takes us like 30 to 45 seconds to like actually process encouragement or a compliment. It kind of speaks to that idea of, right, you have a hundred good things said to you and one day you only remember the worst one about you. So I think what you're saying about the belovedness that God had for that you, that you perceive as a mess or that you don't agree with now Mm -hmm. that you do then still was a recipient of that status. And that, I feel like that reframes and reshapes and reorients people to a life worth living with Mm -hmm. themselves. That is otherwise not the case when they're kind of just trapped in a sense of inherent suckiness, right? Right. And it makes those people agents of liberation too. Yes. I think our belovedness, um, I know the Three Black Men podcast is working, is talking about liberation a lot and love and the connection. Um, And I really think they are connected. Yes. Where when we are loved, we are able to love and that frees up other people to love and then free up other people. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's great. I just know that when I was hating myself, I couldn't stop thinking about myself because I was so concerned about, was I doing the right thing? How was I coming across? Did people really Mm. like me? Did people really like God? Did like, all all the things can't get out of my own way how can i love other people when i'm so intent on preserving some version of myself that that i can tolerate yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. other people can um but being free to say you know what i heck i'm still a mess (laughs) (laughs) this many years later 
I just this last week, I've had to confront <clears throat> some things about myself that I've been doing badly as a mm. shepherd. Um, and I don't like those realizations. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And I'm still beloved. Man. And I'm still called. And I don't have to let that hold me back from the people that God has called me to. Um, I can, I can apologize to them. I can seek restoration with them. Um, I don't have to go hide or fix things or go move or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, any of the other things that I might've tried when I was less aware of my belovedness. Mm. I love that. Well, Pastor Jennifer Late, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks podcast. for having me. Yes, I've I've really loved this conversation and glad that um yeah, the the pilgrims who listen in are getting to receive from the 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 matron saint of the pilgrimage <laughs> ministry. <laughs> It's the pilgrimage squared. The pilgrimage squared, yes, yes. <laughs> and no, like that we are recipients and agents of grace and love and liberation in this world. That's something I'm holding um, sacredly with me today. And yeah, so to all you fellow pilgrims, here's to painting a canvas of hope and light into our world today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you.